That was fun, wasn't it? Thank you to Jindale for that, for putting that together. I was trying to figure out what text to preach on a 50th anniversary, and I knew one thing for, sure, for certain. I wanted a short text and not an entire book. Uh, we've, we've been going through entire books week by week, and this is an opportunity for me to choose a very short text, which I have done. It's short, but it is important. And it's a text that I like for us to return to periodically because it gives us a description of what the first church valued and what they did. And so I want us to talk about that. I also want to point out how we see these values at our church, and we've seen them over the past 50 years. And then I want to talk about what it might look like for us moving forward over the next 50 years for us to continue to lean in to these values. So I'm going to ask you to please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. If you are able, please stand and honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to look at this passage that gives us a glimpse, just a small glimpse of what the first church looked like, what they did. I'm going to read Acts 2, beginning in verse 42, and this is the very inspired Word of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, may you be honored. May your church be equipped and built up as we look at your word this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you've been at Vista for very long at all, I hope you've heard us talk a little bit about our mission statement. Our mission statement is making disciples who worship, connect, serve, and impact. And that first phrase, making disciples, you know, we didn't just come up with this. Jesus gave us this mission when He gave us the Great Commission. He was leaving His disciples. He says, guys, I'm not going to be with you. I'm going to leave you, but but you're not going to be alone. He's going to send His Spirit to them. And that happens at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. And Jesus commissions them and says, you are to make disciples. That's the main command. Going, baptizing, teaching. But the main command is make disciples. So this is our mission. It's it's, it's simple. We're supposed to see people who are not disciples become disciples. And we're supposed to see people who are disciples grow as disciples. That's it. It's that simple. That's what we're here to do as a church. And, And we use four words to kind of help describe what this process looks like. Worship, connect, serve, and impact. We believe if you're doing these four things, you will be well on your way to growing as a disciple at Vista Grande. I, I, I refer to this as our vision. People will sometimes say, what's your vision? I want to see everybody in the church worshiping, connecting, serving, and impacting. And, and you say, well, I already am. They say, that's great. You can go deeper in each of these. And even better, you can help someone else along that process. But I also like to talk about this as our expectations. What is expected of me as a member of this church? We only expect you to worship, connect, serve, and impact. Let's look at each four, and I want to show you how we get these from God's Word. First of all, let's talk about making disciples who worship. You know, on one hand, in one sense, worship is the purpose of all things. God created everything, and He created everything for His glory. And in one sense, everything we do is to be done as unto the Lord, and therefore worship. But when we use the word worship in our mission statement, we mean a very specific 
type of worship. We mean the corporate gathering, the weekly gathering, what we're doing right now, coming together in order to worship the Lord. Now you say, where do you get that? Is that a biblical expectation? Are you expecting more of me than what the Bible expects? I'd say, no, this is what God's people have done since day one. Look at verses 46 and 47. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. One of the places where the first church met, they didn't have a building. They just was, the church was in infancy. So they gathered at the temple. And there were different areas of the temple where people could gather. And so they gathered there for worship. Uh, Acts 3.11 and 5.12 mentions them gathering at Solomon's portico. So don't, don't picture them gathering there to, to, to do um, sacrifices. Right? They're not sacrifices. They're, they're there to worship the lamb who had been sacrificed once and for all. But they're gathering at this public gathering place for worship. They also gathered in their homes. And Notice it says they were, they were gathering together. They gathered together for worship. It was not a private experience. It was not an individual experience. It was a together experience. It was a corporate experience. Uh, it says they were praising God together, verse 47. This is a mark of, a, of, a, of the first church. This is what they did. And by the way, the New Testament is very clear. This is an expectation of a New Testament church. Listen, for example, to Hebrews 10.25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Vista Grande has a history of valuing and prioritizing gathering together for the purpose of worship. Uh, here's proof. I have a picture to prove it. Here's our church prior to having a building, meeting at Helen Keller School and meeting for worship. Right? It looks a little different than what we're doing today. They, we, we look a little less Partridge family than they do in this picture. But the purpose is the same. The concept is the same. They're gathering for worship. Right? And the next picture is a picture of our founding pastor. His name is Bill Daughter. He is he, uh, standing in front of the church at Flint Ridge, the original building. He was a professional builder. And he actually built the building. And he was with our church for seven years. And then he went and planted another church in Colorado Springs called Woodman Valley Chapel. And he built the building, the original building for them as well. And he's still in Colorado Springs today. A good man. Uh, I think he's planning on being here at our 2 o'clock service. So hopefully you can come and meet him. Our church relocated to this property. And the first worship service was the Sunday after September 11, 2001. And uh, immediately there was a need for more space, and so the two wings were added. For those of you who are sitting in the wings, thank you. And you're sitting there because the wings were added because there was a need for more space. And, and ever since our church relocated to this property, there was a vision, there was a, a plan to, to maximize this space. It's 13 acres. It is prime real estate in Colorado Springs. And the plan from day one since relocating here was to maximize uh, this property, this location. And we have a property development committee that's been meeting for two years and discussing and researching and doing work, and they are going to make a presentation to the church next Sunday. Next Sunday morning during the worship services, there'll be a short presentation, and next Sunday evening at 6 o'clock, there'll be a, a fuller presentation and a town hall meeting, and you can come and hear about possible plans for possible next steps of us maximizing this, this quality piece of property and this quality land that we have right here at Stetson Hills and Powers. 
You know, it's a very popular thing for people to say today, the church is the people, it's not the building. And, and I don't take exception with that. I think that's an accurate statement. The church is the people. We don't have to have a building. We could hypothetically meet in homes. Uh, we could hypothetically meet outside. We could meet on top of Pike's Peak, which would be fun, right? And then we could really see who's serious about, <laughs> about joining us for worship. Right? Might have people passing out in the high altitude. Be fun. The church is made up of people. It's not, it's, not, it's not the architecture. It's not the building. But the building does, it is special. There's something special about the building. It's not sacred. You don't have to have one. But when you look at church history, churches historically have developed, and, and there, there's a place where they meet. And that place kind of becomes a part of their identity. And there's something special about that place. And by the way, isn't that the way we do things in life? Like things that are special to us, we have a home and we invest in it, and we want to make it special and decorate it, and this is, the, this is our home, this is where we live, and we have, this is where we go to school, and this is where we go to, to work. Wouldn't it make sense that we would have a place where we gather for worship, and, and, and we have that, and we're grateful for it. But the church is not primarily the structure, the architecture. It is the people, and it's not just the people, it's also what we do when we gather as a church. And I want us to consider, what did the first church do when they gathered for worship. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. When the first church gathered, they dedicated themselves, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. Now, what is that? What did the apostles teach? And the answer is the apostles taught what Jesus taught. Jesus taught the apostles. They turned around and taught the church. So if you want to know what the apostles taught, go read the Gospels and you'll see what Jesus taught the apostles. And then read the New Testament letters and you'll see what the apostles taught the churches when they wrote to them. That's the apostolic teaching. It's the teaching that we have in the New Testament. And this church was defined by this. This is who they were. They were the people who devoted themselves to the apostolic teaching. This is what unified them. This, by the way, is how they started in the first place. Look at Acts 2 verse 41. So those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So who were these people gathered for worship in the first century church? They were those who received His Word. What Word? Well, you, you look at the, the text prior to the text we're looking at, it's, it's Peter's sermon. Peter the Apostle preaches a sermon about Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, and the people heard it. They heard the Word. They heard the Gospel. They heard the good news. And they responded. They responded with repentance and faith and baptism. And that's how the first church formed. It was the people who simply heard the preaching and responded with faith. And they came together. And what did they do when they came together? Did they do something other than the apostolic teaching? No. They kept devoting themselves to the same Word that drew them together in the first place. So their worship was centered around the Word. It was Word-centered worship. Apostolic teaching-centered worship. And uh, so this is the pattern. This is the model. I want you to notice what the model is not. The model is not the apostles sitting around saying, I wonder how we could get a whole bunch of people to come together and form a big group. And then maybe somewhere down the road we can disciple them. Maybe on Wednesday nights we'll start discipling. No. The discipleship was central to worship. The Word was central to worship. This is what the first century church looks like. Word-centered worship. 
And I'm grateful to be a part of a church that values this and has valued this historically. And one story that I think illustrates this, when this church building was built and the the studs were still exposed, the church members were encouraged to come and write Bible verses on the studs. So there's Bible verses written all over the studs all over this property. And the pastor, Bobby Holt, I'm told, uh, came up to one of the studs back here and wrote 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. And it's just an illustration that this church values preaching the word. This church values expository preaching. And this is a value and a distinctive of this church that as long as I'm here, I plan to continue to lean into this and continue to make this a value of our church. Um, Because my main concern is this. What does the Bible say we're supposed to be doing? Let's just focus on that. Let's just do what the Bible tells us we're supposed to do. And let's try to do that really well. And then let's let God take care of the results and what happens, right? In verse 47, it says, The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So our responsibility is this. What are we supposed to be doing as followers of Jesus as a church? Let's do that. Focus on that. Everything else, take it or leave it. And then let's trust God for the results of what happens as a result of that. So if you're visiting with us, if you're new with us, Uh, we want you to grow as a disciple. If you're not a disciple, we want you to become a disciple. If you are a disciple, we want to see you grow as a disciple. And we believe the first place that happens is corporate worship. We hope you prioritize worshiping regularly with us. And we believe this is the first step corporately of your discipleship at Vista Grande. Second, let's talk about making disciples who connect. Look at verse 42. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. I think it's interesting that he says they were devoting themselves not just to the apostles' teaching, they were devoting themselves to the fellowship. They didn't see it as something that just kind of happens naturally or as a a result of us gathering for the Word. They, they, They were intentional about gathering for the koinonia, for the fellowship. This included, verse 42, breaking bread, praying together. Verse 44 says all who believed were together. Verse 46 says they attended the temple together and broke bread in their homes. So they opened up their homes to one another. And I think the way that many Christians today think about the church, they think of it kind of the same way that they might think about a gym. A gym is a place where you go, And it's about you. You work out. You have your program. You have your regimen. And there may be a social aspect to it. There may be other people there, and you may wave to them and say hi and talk and may you know help each other hold weights or something like that. But the gym is there for you. You go for you. You're there to get stronger. You're there to get faster. You're there to get healthier. And hypothetically, you could remove all the people from the gym, and you could still go and accomplish what you're trying to accomplish by going to the gym because it's about you. And I think a lot of people think of the church like that. You know, it's a place where I go, where I grow close to God, where I worship God, where I kind of follow the programs that I need to follow. I choose which Bible study. I choose which Sunday school. I, I go to worship insofar as it benefits me. And the people, you know, yeah, there's people there, and I'm glad they're there, and they're friendly, and I say hi, and we wave, and how are you doing? But, you know, you could hypothetically get rid of all the people Which, by the way, church might be a lot easier if it wasn't for all the people, right? (laughs) 
And then I could just accomplish my little program, my little regimen that I have so I can become more spiritual, so I can be closer to God. It's about you. That's the way a lot of Christians think. And, and, and sometimes even Christians who, who, are, who are involved in a ministry, it becomes all about them and God and their ministry. And they're all about their ministry. If you don't come to my ministry, you're not really involved. And they're so single vision minded on just their thing. It's about me, God, my ministry. The rest of you, I can take you or leave you. Who cares? That's a far cry from the vision we have of the first church. Right? What are the kinds of metaphors? What are the kinds of images that the Bible uses to describe the church? Let's think about it. Not a gym. The, the, the Bible uses images like family. Do you think of God's people at Vista Grande as your family? Like, do you look around the room at the people who are around you and say, you know, I'm glad they're here, but they could hypothetically not be here and I can still do my thing? Or do you look over there and say, that's my mom. That's my dad. That's my brother. That's my sister. That's my grandmother. So it's a picture of a family. That's a picture of a New Testament church. It's not about just me and God and me doing whatever program benefits me. It's, it's about me belonging to something much bigger than myself. Another image that's used is the, the image of a, a body. A body that has these different parts, legs and hands. And what's the point? You need all the parts of the body and they're unified. If the parts of a body are not unified, you got a mess. Right? It's the point of the picture of a New Testament church. It's, it's unified like a body. We need each other. Another image that's used is the image of a building. Think about all the parts of a building need to be together in order for the building to function. If you come next week and the property development committee stands up before you and says, we got a great plan. We're going to put a roof out there by Powers and we're going to put some walls over there by Stetson Hills and we're going to put a foundation kind of out there toward the west, toward the mountains, and it's going to be really cool. Very new, very, you know, very creative. You say, no way, I'm not backing that, I'm not voting for that, I'm not supporting that. That makes no sense, it's nonsense. Why? Because the parts of the building have to be together in order for the building to function the way it's supposed to function. And that's the whole point of the image in the New Testament of a church. It's a, it's a building. You need the walls, you need the roof, you need the foundation. We need everybody. We need everybody, not just me and my ministry, we need everybody coming together recognizing I'm a part of something bigger and better than just myself. One of the things you're going to hear next week proposed from the Property Development Committee is a plan to build a worship center that would allow all of us to worship together, both services, at least initially. And so think about that. Think about how powerful it would be to look around and literally be able to see your entire family, church family, worshiping together. It would be very powerful. And the whole church family could witness baptisms together. That's, that's one thing you, you, you don't see about half the baptisms we have. Because you come to the second service, and there's baptisms in the first service. And uh, it's not, that's not optimal. It's optimal for us as a family to be able to have the same experience together. And so I think that'll be a real special aspect if we're, if we're able to do that. Another proposal you're going to hear next week from the Property Development Committee is building enough space where we can all continue to meet for Sunday school during the same hour so we can all continue to come and have Sunday school and, and worship. And, and Sunday school, by the way, is a, is a big distinctive of our church. It's, a, it's where we encourage people to get connected when you're new. It's where we encourage people to get connected if you're not connected. Sunday school is a high priority for us. 
What is it? It's just simply small groups, smaller groups than this. This is a pretty good-sized group. Smaller groups that meet together on Sunday morning at the church property during the two hours. And the idea is simply this. You can come and connect and worship at the same, the same morning and not have to come to the property two different times during the week. It's really that simple. Connecting with God's people around God's Word and it's, it's a distinctive of our church. We, we value it. We prioritize it. And we always have. And as a result, we have a really high percentage of people who are involved in Sunday school. In fact, it's over like 80% of people who, who attend Sunday school who also attend worship. And you just don't see that among churches today. You don't see 80% of people going to small group ministry of the people who worship. And at our church, some mornings, it's actually more than 100%. Some mornings we have more people in Sunday school than we do in worship, which is incredible. That's unheard of. You, you just don't hear of churches where that's the case. And it just demonstrates this is a priority. It's a value of our church. And I think it always has been. In fact, I have a picture to show you of a group of people connecting. I, I'm guessing it's a Sunday school class. If you know Bill and Mary Wyford, they're pictured in here. And uh, notice the number 50 on the back wall. Uh, I don't know what they're celebrating. But they're celebrating something, 50th something, birthday, anniversary, I don't know. So I thought it was kind of interesting. And here we are celebrating 50 years. We have other opportunities to get connected at our church in addition to Sunday school. Um, if, for example, you're serving and therefore you can't come to Sunday school, we have women's ministry. We have men's ministry. Our men's ministry is kind of getting revitalized and kicking off a big event next Tuesday, 6 o'clock. We hope the guys come and plan to be a part of that. We have connecting opportunities for children. We have connecting opportunities for youth, for college, for young adult, for senior adult, everything in between. We have plenty of opportunities to get connected. We don't expect you to get connected everywhere. We just hope you get connected somewhere. So there's some group of people who knows you. They know your name. You know them. You know their name. They're praying for you. You're praying for them. And you're coming together around God's Word regularly. That's our hope. That's our expectation. We don't think it's extra biblical. We think it's very biblical. It's a picture of the New Testament church. You get connected where there's fellowship. And this brings us to talk thirdly about making disciples who serve. The way that we use the word serve in our mission statement, we specifically mean serving God's people at Vista Grande Baptist Church. You may say, well, I'm serving people outside of the church. And we would say, that's wonderful. We're so glad. Keep doing it. But we are using this word serve in a very technical, specific way. We mean serving God's people at Vista Grande Baptist Church. And you may say, wait a minute. Is that a real true biblical expectation or is that extra biblical? And I would say, I believe it's very biblical. Let me show you. Look at verses 44 and 45 there, Acts 2. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. When they saw a need in their church family, they took care of it. They, they were a family. When it says all, it doesn't mean all the world. When they saw a need, they met all the needs within the church family. They were willing to sell their stuff in order to have money to meet the needs of each other. And I want to point out, we, we don't get the sense that here that they were required to do this. It's not like, if you want to be a member of our church, you have to go sell all your stuff. That's not a requirement. And I also want to point out, it's not, it's not communism. It's not the government saying, we're going to take all your stuff and figure out who to give it to. 
It was the church voluntarily just saying, we're a family and we want to treat each other like family. So if there's a need, I'm willing to sell what I need to sell to help you meet your need. They just treated each other like family. Now, it's certainly what they did. Is it, is it an expectation? Is it a New Testament teaching? Is it a New Testament requirement? You tell me. Listen to 1 Peter 4.10. You tell me. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I'd say it's a biblical expectation. You've been given a gift to use to serve one another, each other, your brothers and your sisters that you're sitting around. And, and, and our church historically has valued this and done this. Our church has valued serving one another. And I have a couple pictures to illustrate this. This first picture is a committee called, that was put together called Building for Tomorrow. From 1980, they were trying to figure out uh, how to make some updates in the building at Flint Ridge. Uh, you'll see pictured here Gay Killinger in the middle, the back row. Not quite yet ready. And you'll see Gary Christofferson, second pastor, uh, upper right-hand corner. You'll also see Judy Wolford and Pam Coover on the front row. Uh, the next picture is a picture I really like. This is a picture from 1973, the very first vacation Bible school before there was a building. And I just, I love the style, the clothing, I love the cars. And also Pikes Peak pictured in the background, right? If you could see that. So our church has historically valued serving. What does it look like for us to serve today? What does it look like for you to serve today? First of all, I want to be really clear. We don't expect you to serve in every area. You can't, by the way. It's impossible. I, I can't. And, and if you're feeling burdened and overloaded with serving too much, come talk to us. We want to help free you up. We don't want to burden people. We don't want to burn people out. It's the last thing we want to do is burn people out. If you say, I, you just don't understand, I'm so busy, I'm not sure I can do all these things you're talking about. Worship, connect, serve. Here would be my encouragement to you. If, you. if you just don't have the bandwidth, then get connected in some group. Sunday school, you're already here for worship, I assume. Come to Sunday school, and while you're in Sunday school, just listen to the needs. Open your eyes, open your ears, and just listen to the needs. Somebody's having surgery. Maybe you can help with meals. Somebody asked for prayer requests. I can pray for that. And you just serve the needs that you're able to. Just, I, I can do that. I'm able to do that. And then you're doing all three things. You're worshiping. You're connecting. You're serving. It's not all on Sunday morning. And, and if our church did that, if every single one of us just opened our ears and our eyes and just met needs that we see around us, that would go a long way as a church. It would be incredible. If everybody had a heart that said, I'm here to serve you. I'm not here for me and my workout. I'm here for you. How can I serve you? That's New Testament Christianity. And God will bless that. Um, we do have other needs that need to be met. I reached out to the ministers and said, do you know of any needs that I should let people know about? And uh, they said, absolutely. Jimmy Peck said that he is in need of substitute teachers in kids' Sunday school on Sunday morning and Awana leaders. Uh, Devin mentioned greeters and ushers and security team. And, and Jay mentioned worship band members, instrumentalists. And so if you say, I, I'm interested in hearing more, talk to one of them about these different areas. Or if you don't know who they are, stop by the welcome desk on your way out and you can pick up a serve form and you can fill that out and just let us know, here's the areas I want to hear more about. You're not signing your life away. 
You're just saying, I want to hear more about this, and then we'll put you in contact with the leader of that ministry, and maybe something will work out there. By the way, there's also at the welcome desk a list of our Sunday school classes, where they meet, a description of them, so you can also figure out what might be a good Sunday school class for you there. Um, We hope you serve not just because we have needs that need to be met. We want you to serve because we believe that's what it looks like for a disciple of Jesus Christ who's growing as a disciple. You're worshiping, you're connecting with God's people, koinonia fellowship, and you're serving somewhere, somehow, someway. You're, you're using your gifting, your experience, your, your qualities, and you're leveraging them for the purpose of blessing God's people at Vista Grande Baptist Church. And this brings us to talk, fourthly, about making disciples who impact. When we use the word impact, we're talking specifically about having an impact for Christ on people who are outside of Christ or outside of the church. So you may say, well, I'm having an impact on this person in the church. And we'd say, that's wonderful. We hope you have an impact on people inside the church. But that's not specifically how we use the word impact as it relates to our mission statement. We're talking about making an impact on people for Christ and specifically people who are outside of Christ or outside of Christ's church. Now you may say, wait a minute, is that a biblical expectation? And I'd say, I think it is. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Right? As you're going, make disciples. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so there's this expectation that Jesus' disciples have this outward impact in mind. And the whole book of Acts fleshes this out. And we see this growth. Uh, look, look at verse 41. Acts chapter 2. Those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So in Acts chapter 1, the church begins with about 120 people. In Acts chapter 2, it's up to 3,000. Verse 47 says, The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In Acts chapter 4, verse 4, it tells us there's 5,000 men. So maybe even more outside of the men. Acts 5.14, More than ever believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. In Acts chapter 6, they've grown so big and there's so many practical needs, they have to raise up a special group just to take care of the practical needs in the church so that the, the, the leaders, the apostles, can focus on the ministry of the Word and do what they're called to do. And so the church is growing. It's getting bigger. There's a practical need. You may say, well, what, what caused this? What was causing all this incredible growth? What are the factors? One answer is, verse 47, it was the Lord who added to their number. The Lord was doing this. And He confirmed their ministry through wonders and signs. Look at verse 43. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You might say, well, hey, how do we get some of those wonders and signs? That sounds kind of fun. I would point you to verse 43 where it says, the wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And one qualification of being an apostle is you have to be someone who has seen with your eyes the resurrected Jesus Christ. And none of us qualifies for that. And if anybody ever tells you he's an apostle, my recommendation is run as fast as you can. Here's the point. The growth is explained by God. God provides the growth. And He provides the growth 
while the church was being faithful. They were being faithful to do what they were supposed to do. And God blessed it and He grew it. They were faithful to the apostolic teaching. They were faithful to meet together regularly, open their homes. They were faithful to meet each other's needs. And I can't help but picture the watching world saying, wow, what are these people doing? This is incredible. I'm interested. I want to hear more. Wow. They're selling their stuff and meeting each other's needs. I don't know, I don't know what they believe, but I'm interested. I want to hear more. They were faithful to open their mouths and share the gospel. They got them thrown in jail, by the way. And they didn't stop opening their mouths, even when they were imprisoned. They were faithful to go. They were faithful to send. They were faithful to, to, to plant. And they did. What does it look like for us today? We are here because of the faithfulness of people in the past. Right? What does it look like for us today to be faithful? Where God has called us. I want, to, I want to mention several ways it looks like for us to be faithful. First of all, we are faithful by representing Christ right where God has placed you. God has placed you in that home, in that neighborhood, in that apartment for a particular reason. That's your field of influence. right? That's your field. That's your place to have an impact. God has placed you at that desk in that schoolroom for a reason. God has placed you at that grocery store for a reason. God has placed you at that workplace for a reason. That's the place where God's put you. You open your eyes and look for opportunities and ways to represent Christ well where you are. We, we, we talk around here about biblical hospitality, which just means you leverage your resources for the purpose of making an impact for Jesus Christ right where God has you. Second, what does it look like to, to impact for us? Second, it means opening your mouth and talking about Jesus and pointing people to Jesus and calling people to put their faith in Jesus. It's not enough merely to represent Christ well. It's not less than that. It's not less than representing Christ well, but it's got to be more. What I'm describing is personal evangelism. Opening your mouth, talking to people about Jesus, and encouraging them, calling them to put their faith in Christ. Because you've already built the relationships. You've already been intentional. You've already practiced biblical hospitality. And now you're looking for opportunities, praying for opportunities to give the reason for the hope that is within. And, and, and by the way, also inviting people to church with that. Come and hear. Hear God's Word. Hear preaching, which is going to point to the Gospel and point to Jesus Christ. Third, we're called to be involved in missions. Missions, technically speaking, is cross-cultural. Not everything we do as a church is missions. We have a mission, we have a mission statement, and everything we do better be a part of the mission. If we're doing anything that's not a part of the mission, we need to stop doing it. One part of the mission is missions, which is going, it's cross-cultural. And, and we prioritize as a church, and we have historically prioritized as a church, going cross-culturally to places where the gospel is not. Going to places where there are no Christians. Going to places where there have never been Christians. That's been a priority of our church. That's why we partner with the International Mission Board. The IMB has a, a, a prioritization of reaching unreached peoples and doing it through church planting. And so we believe in it. We want to partner with an organization that's doing that, that's going, that's sending, that's looking to church plant in areas where the gospel is not. So we, we, we highly prioritize this type of mission, missions work. That's why we annually raise money to support the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which is supporting the International Mission Board. It's the same thing. 
Um, we, we have raised over $100,000 over the past five, six, seven years, and, and, and we will continue to prioritize this. We also give to the International Mission Board regularly just through our offering. The, our offering, we designate 10% toward missions, right? And, and, and part of that goes to the International Mission Board because we give regularly to the cooperative program. The cooperative program, half of that money stays in the state with the Colorado Baptist Convention. The other half goes on. Half of that goes to the International Mission Board, so we support them doubly. A quarter of that goes to the North American Mission Board, which is focused on church planning in North America. And by the way, they're specifically focused on the Front Range as one of their target areas. And some of that goes to support the seminary so that we can raise up ministers and and missionaries of the gospel, translators and everything else. And so we have a number of ways that we're involved in missions. We, we have three different offerings, designated offerings throughout the year, supporting the, the state convention, supporting the North American Mission Board, supporting the International Mission Board. We also give regularly, as I mentioned, to the cooperative program. In addition to all this, we also support missionaries and other mission organizations. Let me share a list with you. Listen to this. The Pikes Peak Baptist Association, Operation Christmas Child, Casas Por Cristo, Springs Rescue Mission, Mercy's Gate, Life Network, MTI, Christian Challenge, Evangelism Explosion, a local Hispanic church, Reach Beyond, Southeast Baptist Food Pantry, Friends of Great Commission. And I'm, I'm just guessing there's one that I didn't even list here that I've forgotten. I apologize if that's the case. One of the great legacies of our church as it relates to missions is we've had several families who have come from our church and are now serving overseas on the mission field. I think of the Webbs in Ireland who are serving with Crossworld. Uh, I think of three couples who have come from our church and are now serving with the International Mission Board in East Asia. And this is a great legacy of our church. I, mean, I, I think of these folks as heroes of our church, and I believe it's very likely that God is calling more, more families, more couples, more individuals to go perhaps overseas, perhaps do missions. Perhaps He's calling some to be church planters. Perhaps He's calling some to be in ministry, to be pastors, to be ministers, to, to, to be involved in churches that are sending. And we would love to talk to you. If God's stirring your heart toward these things, we would love to talk to you. Please come talk to us so we can pray with you and walk through that process with you. Impact is the last of the four for a reason. We gather together to worship, to connect, to serve, in order to part, in order to leave this campus, in order to go have an impact. And you know what the goal is? The goal is that as a result, there will ultimately be more people worshiping. So it just comes full circle. The goal is we want more people worshiping God. It's all about His glory. So we gather to worship, connect, serve, in order to part here and leave, in order to make an impact where God has you, so you're, you're impacting, you're encouraging and supporting others who are impacting, perhaps going on mission trips. By the way, we, we go on lots of mission trips. I've been on a couple different mission trips just encouraging our missionaries. We have a group that's going to Mexico to build houses over spring break coming up in a couple of weeks. So we're involved in missions in a lot of ways, a lot more than just the 10% designated amount. And we want to keep leaning into this. And, and we, have, we are seeing fruit from the ministry. We've seen 181 people baptized at our church over the past seven years, which is, averages out to 26 a year. 
which was impacted very negatively during the COVID years. Our numbers went way down. Everybody's numbers went way down during COVID in terms of baptisms. But, but, but historically, we, we are seeing people come to Christ. We're having conversations with people. We're seeing them come to Christ. We are seeing people get baptized. We are seeing people grow as disciples. And the Lord is blessing it. And we want to keep leaning into this. Because it's easy to become kind of complacent. You know, churches in their infancy oftentimes have a lot of dynamism and passion and excitement. And over time, they, it can kind of slow down and it can kind of wane and they can kind of lose their, their excitement and they can kind of lose the passion and, and lose sight of the mission. And interestingly, this church in Jerusalem is going to need financial help from churches it plants. So the church plants are going to have to send back money to this church that's more developed and more mature in a sense. And it's, it's, it's good for us as we celebrate 50 years to say to look in the mirror and make sure we're not becoming complacent because we can get to a point where we just kind of manage. we got a good thing going. we got all these things going. Let's just manage it. Right? Just keep people happy. A lot of people doing a lot of things. Let's just keep everybody happy. And we can sort of forget we're here for a mission. We're here for a purpose. And, and we, can lose our, we can lose the power to be described as a church with glad and generous hearts. Right? We have to be reminded sometimes of a, of, of a passion of, a, of an early first church. Early churches in their infancy have a certain you know, excitement about them. And we have to rekindle that sometimes. And early churches tend to, to have a simplified, drilled-in vision of what the mission is. It's a simple mission. Make disciples. It's so simple. And over time, we can complicate it. And we can be doing so many things that we just sort of lose sight of, why are we here? What are we doing? What's the purpose? What's the mission? It's very simple. It's make disciples who worship, connect, serve, and impact. And I think the best and the healthiest way to motivate God's people to be reminded of this is not necessarily walking around twisting arms, not necessarily walking around raising our voice, yelling at people. You better start making an impact. Right? That's not going to make a very good impact. The best motivation is just remind ourselves, who are we? What are we doing here? How did we get here? How did this first church get here? Who, who were they? They were, they were simply the people who heard the good news about Jesus Christ and they responded with faith and they joined together for worship. And, and they believed that Jesus had came and Jesus died and Jesus rose again. They believed that Jesus served them. They had been served by Jesus in His life, His death, and His resurrection. They had been impacted by Jesus. He was, in a sense, the first missionary who left His home and came to serve and impact them. And of course, He didn't stay dead. If He stayed dead, there would be no church. There would be no first church if Jesus remained dead. And there would be no Vista Grande Baptist Church if Jesus remained dead. But three days later, He rose again. And He's alive today. And He's reigning as the King over the cosmos and what he's doing, what is he up to? What is he doing? He is advancing his kingdom throughout the world and he's doing it through his church. Wow. Who are we? We are simply the people who heard this good news somewhere along the way. And we responded with faith and repentance and baptism and we joined together Christ's body and that's who we are. We are Christ's church. And we are the people who believe that Jesus is reigning at the right hand of God right now and He will accomplish His mission and we believe He'll do it through us. And we are here to gather together to worship the risen King, 
to connect, to be devoted to the fellowship with one another, to, to serve one another, ultimately to leave here to make an impact for Christ so that more people worship in the long term. So many things can derail us from the mission. We can get discouraged, for example. We can look at the news and say, oh my goodness, the world seems to be coming apart at the seams. The culture seems to be coming apart at the seams. And everybody seems just angry and mad and bitter about everything. And we can say, maybe we ought to retreat out of this world. Maybe we ought to just kind of retreat a little bit and and just manage. You know, and just keep everybody happy and do what we do and just manage. Because my goodness, it's a nasty world. Can we, do we really think we can accomplish this mission of making Jesus known as the King in this world, in this culture, so that people are bowing their knees and confessing that Jesus is Lord? Can we do this? And the answer is no, we can't. But God can, and God will, and He'll do it through us. If we walk by faith and not by sight, if we walk by faith trusting that we are the people who were once dead but have been made alive because we heard the good news and we are in Christ. If we will walk by faith trusting we are the church, we are His bride, and the gates of hell will not prevail against Him as Jesus promised. And if we will walk by faith trusting God will accomplish His mission, He will accomplish His mission, and He's willing to do it through us, and He will do it through us if we will just walk by faith and not by sight. By faith this mountain shall be moved and the power of the gospel shall prevail. For we know in Christ all things are possible to those who call upon His name. So let's call upon His name.